Kleinborn's 2011 production of Handel's Rinaldo marks the 300th anniversary of the work, a highly successful opera by the 26-year-old composer, newly arrived after a four-year stay in Italy and full of new ideas that would catch the English ear. It's the very first time Rinaldo has been staged at Kleinborn, and the responsibility for doing so has been given to Robert Carson, who returns to the house where, many years ago, his directing career began. I'm joined today by Robert and also by his collaborator, the dramaturg Ian Burton. Welcome both. Ronaldo is the work of this young composer making his mark on London. Why do you think it was such a runaway success when it was first performed? Well, I think it was a runaway success because it was intended to be. I mean, uh, one of the strange things about the work is that it was written in a very short length of time, I think just about two weeks, famously, uh, it's said. And, of course, in order to do that, Handel had to ransack a lot of his previous works, not just stage works, but other other pieces he'd written. Yeah. And so he, he took things that he thought were appropriate, to duets, arias, orchestral music, whatever, um, to put this story together, which is probably one of the reasons it doesn't entirely... Makes sense. Together. <laughs> but but it, you, you've worked on that. It does now, I think. Well, I've, we've tried to make, to, to make it make sense without flattening it out. It's, still ha- it's very important that a, that a work like this has a, a lot of light and shade and actually a lot of colour too. But uh, and this was intended to wow the London public and with all sorts of scenic effects and musical effects. And it was to be something completely different. And it was a huge success. I, I think it's very interesting that we are, that, that Glyndebourne is presenting exactly the number of performances that, this is a coincidence, 300 years to the, almost to the day of the first performance, 1711, 2011, uh, Glyndebourne has scheduled 15 performances, which was the remarkable number of performances that Rinaldo was given in its first season in London because it was so popular. It was, de- it was brought back by demand up to the staggering number of 15 performances, which has never been never happened before. I've often described this as the, the piece as being as if it was a plate and the, the plate was dropped and someone's just picked up all the pieces in any old order. So Gideon Davy and I, in developing the, the visual production, how it unfolds and how it's told, and of course also you know, what, what the, the basic dramatic structure and essence of the scenes are, we've tried to sort this out so that it doesn't seem random. And Handel tinkered around with, with numbers himself no end, didn't he, as, as time went on. So presumably you're give some legitimacy to do that. We were using the original 1711 score, so we haven't put in any of the arias that, that he wrote for the later editions. Um, we have made a few cuts. I asked Ottavia D'Antoni, our, our wonderful conductor, if I could rearrange some of the third act to make a bit more sense of the way in which uh, the story unfolds. And he yeah. said, well, yes, of course, because, as you've just said, Handel never stopped tinkering with it for years and did many different versions, in some of which uh, one or the other character disappears and the music of one character is given to another. And not only that, but baritones become tenors in other versions and, and roles are just completely rewritten. Are taken out altogether, aren't they? Just, just suiting the voices he, he, yeah. was do- he was doing, presumably, just suiting the singers that were available to him at the time. Well, and, and, and just work at changing the structure of it sometimes. I mean, I think because in the first instance he put it together very quickly, but that was obviously part of its success, but then he thought he could make it better, and so some of the things that didn't seem to make sense to him were removed, but then it, did, it, then it wasn't... 
the end, that, that balance wasn't right. So then he had another go with it and another go with it. And actually, I think people generally feel that when all is said and done, unlike La Traviata or Madame Butterfly, others, that the, the first version is the best one. And so that's the one I think that's most frequently performed. Let me just ask you a, a question. Whether there are any particular moments, either musically or, or dramatically, that you're especially looking forward to or that people should be looking looking out for any key moments in, in the opera? The three great arias, if you like, from this piece, which have the most emotional content and handle, you know, does suffering so beautifully. The first one, Rinaldo's aria, when, when Almarena is stolen away from him just after he's sort of with her, and we see how happy they are together. Um, Cara Sposa, which is which is the almost 11 minutes long aria. Suddenly this emotional floodgate is open. You go right into Rinaldo's soul and feel what it feels like to, to lose the one you love, which could be from any opera in any situation. What, what opera does best is when it becomes universal, you forget the situation, just the music and the, and the power of the expression. That one, which is then succeeded, of course, by Almerena in the second act, La Pianga, which is the aria that is probably the most famous one, which was came from another opera, but before it was put into this one. Crudel, Armide's great aria, in, also in the second act, when Rinaldo walks out on her and refuses to return her love. Her suffering is this woman who seems to have no real emotional background and suddenly the floodgates open you see how broken-hearted she is these the way in which Handel arrives at those moments is so extraordinary how he earns them um, however arbitrary it might seem it's very remarkable how they're set up each time and Ian any particular um, key moments for you Handel was very clever the English um, middle class uh, upper middle class aristocracy had been fighting the war of the Spanish succession and had still got two years to go. 
So they were quite martially geared. So he's always got lots of stuff with trumpets and drums, where, you know, which satisfies a martial audience. The English are quite violent, basically, and they pretend to be otherwise and full of fair play and all the rest of it. But underneath, there's a sort of militarism um, which Handel plays up to, and as well as the love materials. And I suppose he's trying to keep going a tradition that comes out of the Dorset Garden Theatre from the 1680s and 90s, which is only ten years or so earlier, which is the Purcell Theatre in English, King Arthur, good tub-thumping, um, chauvinistic British stuff, more trumpets and drums, uh, lots of text spoken in English, unlike these weird Italian operas, which people were very suspicious about initially. You know, what's going on? What are they actually saying in Italian? There was even a suspicion that it might all be a popish plot, that they were saying the mass in <laughs> Italian and therefore, you know, doing strange uh, Catholic things uh, to undermine the British. And of course, you have Italian principles in, in this performance as well. Yes, we do. We have uh, Sonia Prina, of course, who I've worked with before, um, several times. Well, she sang in the production of, of Orlando, that Ian and I worked on for the Aix-en-Provence Festival. She didn't do it in Aix, she did it uh, in Italy when the production went there. And then I worked with her in another handle opera, Alcina, in Paris when she sang Bradamante on a revival of Alcina. And Luca Pizzaroni, who I also worked with, also in Alcina, because on a separate occasion he played Melisso in um, Alcina. But, but it's nice to have that cast. Yes, it's link. wonderful. And... and it's a young cast, and it's which is of course very often the case at Glyndebourne, and and which is great. But they're very. Um, you need a lot of character to to sing this music, and you need a lot of character to interpret it. Um, that's I think one of the most exciting things about if I were to sing about Handler's that you can really put a very personal stamp on it. And I think Ottavio D'Antoni, uh, who knows this piece probably better than any other conductor today, he's, done it, he's conducted a lot. He's done an, a number of scenic productions and he's done it in concert. And he's a wonderful collaborator. And it seems to me uh, to totally understand the spirit of... The, 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 there's a freedom in the way in which these pieces are put together theatrically, which is very important that the conductor completely embraces. And it's been a wonderful collaboration because he really wants that to work and, and, it, and has a very light touch, but is very, um, he knows exactly what he wants musically and, and it seems to me to bring the best out of everybody, including me, I hope. Well, he appreciates the hand, that Handel is working on a new form and enjoying the drama of it, you know, in, in Handel's own stage directions and so on and indications as to how people should sing things or say things, you know, fredamente. And, you know, all of Handel's own uh, markings and so on, quite extraordinary. And he's very keen on the drama of... Yes that's being presented. I think, I think also this this earlier music is always very exciting for directors because you feel... I always am interested in what's new about the piece, not 
so even if you're doing a piece like this, which is now exactly 300 years old, what you're struck with all the time is how new it is, how innovative it is, how extraordinary it must have been to hear that, how extraordinary it is to still hear. Mm. It's not because later Italian opera, however beautiful it is, and I've done a lot of Puccini and Verdi, it is, there is a sense of, of f- form uh, and, and an overall sense of form and a sense of the numbers and the way which things join up and so on. You know, even young Puccini to older Puccini, young Verdi. Here there is a kind of a sense that we can do anything because opera as an art form was quite, it was comparatively young. And there's a, there's a sense of, of rules being constantly broken. So even if you have something that a lot of people think is very rigid, the de capo aria form, which I find liberating. Personally, I like it, but I can understand that not everybody does. Uh, it, there's... But Handel doesn't follow that. Sometimes he, he, he writes other forms. Fourier, when uh, Amid first arrives, is neither an arioso or an air. You don't even know what it is. It's just what he wanted to write. takes you back, I suppose, to the sense of impurity that you talked about at the beginning, which is, which is such an exciting quality to, to work with. Yes, and you know, when you, when you think that we, are, we tend to be very respectful, which I think is, is right, but this was entertainment that they were writing, you know? And there was also a certain sense of action, maybe the way modern musicals are put together to make money. I mean, the form wasn't taken so seriously, so that, there's a freedom that's brought by that, as we were saying, because Handel never stopped rewriting and fiddling around with it and chucking bits out. And that wasn't just the need, for example, a Mozart who does Idomeneo and then writes a role, you know, writes Idamante and rewrites it for a tenor uh, after it's a mezzo and stuff. That's, that's the, the needs of having a different singer. But here we're just talking about, well, let's just have another go at this. Kind of... A lightness and freedom, which I think is right, which I think is really the essence of the theatre, because you're, there's no one way of doing anything. A staging is just a proposition. It's not, you know, there's a, a million ways to do anything, and this seems the right way to do this now. Of course, we won't really know until the curtain goes up. <laughs> well, we're very much looking forward to, to seeing it. Uh, so, Robert Carson and Ian Burton, thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you.